Very beautiful song, choir. We know those words, though, don't we? How many years have we sung that song? I surrender all. Not necessarily to that tune, but we've seen it in our hymn book many, many years, haven't we? Sung those very same words, haven't we? Have we done it yet? I surrender all. That is more than just a, a beautiful piece of music. That's a challenge, isn't it? To surrender yourself to the Lord. All to Jesus I surrender. We're going to spend time in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 today. And uh, let the the words of that song be good preparation for what we're going to see. We are here to understand God's word. But it's not for a head knowledge. It's that our hearts may be engaged that we might understand, but that we would also appropriately respond to his word. And uh, surrender is a good word for that. So as we're starting here this morning, Ephesians 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 15, because that's where the prayer begins. And I'm going to read all the way through verse number 19 just to begin, and then we'll have a word of prayer and then start our study. It says in Ephesians 1.15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Heavenly Father, as we begin our look at your word today, thank you, Lord, for it. But we also need your help. For these words are are great words. They're challenging words, and they do call us to respond with a life that you have first given to us that we need to give to you. And I pray that you might challenge our hearts here this morning as we study together and and warm them, Lord, and and challenge them and draw them to yourself and make us different, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple thought I had as I was preparing these words this morning. Do you know what you have? Do you know what you have? In Ephesians 1, we've been looking at the things that we have in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful list. That's why I'm taking my time with it. I'm just enjoying it so much. I I want to uh, understand it more and more. These are not imaginary things that we read on on this page. I know we live in a secular world, as we call it. Uh, uh, Things are generally tangible. 
we liked that. We, we actually measure success by tangible things. There was a bumper sticker I'd seen years ago that said, He who dies with the most toys wins. I thought, what an interesting bumper sticker. Of course, it was on the back of some very expensive car. Far too often, we, when we take inventory of the things that we have, we mostly count the things that we can touch or we can see. Tangible things. God does give us tangible things, doesn't he? We look around. Uh, those of us who have had families and such, we count our children as blessings, don't we? Most of the time. We... Uh, we speak of our homes, we speak of our material blessings, and we have a host of those things. Plus, he gives us life, and he gives us health. He gives us recovery for when we fall and break something or get sick for a while. He, he's been very good to us. Today, our focus is going beyond just the tangible here. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, our knowledge of God. Our knowledge of God. In realizing that he has given us so much, so much more. This world and the things of this world, the scripture says, they're passing away. Do you know that? The things of this world are passing away. There's a, a passage in John, First John, actually, um, the epistle, chapter 2. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ooh, that makes me scoff and think. Do I have a love for the things of the world? And he tells us here, those who love the, love the world, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that alarms me to read that part of the verse. And then it goes on to say, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away. And also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And there are two things that kind of stuck out in that little section as I read through it. Uh, the question first is the love of the Father in us. And the second question is, do we desire to do the will of God? For those who do the will of, the, of God, it says, lives forever. What are we called to do? We're going to talk about calling today. What are we called to do? You think it through, if you want to summarize it in a, in a short thought or so. I found uh, Colossians chapter 3 to be a very useful place to go. The first two verses of Colossians 3 says these words, and if you want to go over there and look at it with me, you can see them yourselves. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all of what we're called to do down into a simple thought right here. It says in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and have you been? Yes. Okay, let's re rephrase this then. Since, therefore, you have been raised up with Christ. Now you've got something strong coming your way, don't you? Since you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. I've shared this before, I know. I do that every now and then. I go back to the same stories. I've, I've learned how to do that living here in this town. 
we could repeat the same stories over and over, and that's okay. Um, but way back uh, when I had my first car, I had a 64 Chevy Bel Air. Oh, beautiful color. Dark royal blue. Uh, wonderful car. I loved it. My wife hated it. We ended up with a Toyota instead. But that Bel Air was, was uh, the kind that had those AM radios. That's all it was. An AM radio with two dials on each side. One for volume. One to go across the dial to look for the station. And you sit there and crank it around there and you try, you wiggle it every now and then if you're just trying to get it just right. But you, but you have to turn that dial and move the, the little red marker across the dial to match the number. Some of you remember those well and some of you are saying, what in the world was that? Um, but we, we'd move the dial. And then once we found that station, there were like three or four buttons down below that we would set the station. And to do that, you had to pull the button out and push it all the way back in again, and that's the way you set the station. Some of you know that, right? That's the picture I get with this verse. Verse number one, keep seeking things above. We've got to dial in, if you will. We've got to set our focus on something. We're told to set our focus where Christ is in the heavenlies, right? We're to do that. Is that something that's optional in our Christian life? Is that something that, well, if you think of it and want to do something unique and different and maybe try this? Or do you think Paul, as he wrote this, meant that we do it? What do you think? He says, keep seeking things above. In context of the scripture in the New Testament, the things of this earth are passing away. Let's set our minds on something that lasts forever. Let's set our minds on things that are, are, are related to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep seeking. So we move the dial, we move the dial, we move the dial, we set it on Christ. We pull out the button and push it in. Right? He says, keep seeking, and then in verse 2, set. Set your mind on Christ. Set it. Those are challenging verses. Necessary verses for us. As we've been going through Ephesians 1, we're talking about things that God has given to us. Things that we call our blessings in the heavenlies. And it's more than a, 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 uh, just a concept. It's more than, you know, what the world is saying. Well, that's just imaginary stuff. That's like fairy tale stuff. That's not true. These are the things that are real because these are the things that last. Things that the earth does not. Too often we set our focus down here and not up there. That's why I, I want to saturate ourselves here in Ephesians 1 to say, this is what we have. Do we know it? Do we know that this is what we have? It's an important section for us, especially when we get here in Ephesians 1 and Paul starts praying for the Ephesian believers. He says, I'm constantly, intensely, continuously praying for you. And that's necessary because he knows the Ephesians, maybe much like us too, that we can, we can go through doctrine and use it like a checklist. Yep, got that, yep, got that, yep, got that. And we can mark it all down like, like some intellectual collection. 
I used to collect baseball cards, and, and so I, I would strive every year to make sure I get all of them. And one year, I was so disappointed, never got the Mark Lemangelo card. He was playing for the uh, Houston Astros. I got every card but that one. still drives me crazy that I didn't get that card. I don't even know where the set is anymore. But that still sticks in my mind. I didn't get that one. And some people live with spiritual checklists. They say, doctrinally, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Oh, this one I'm going to work on. You know, that kind of mentality. Purely academic. What reflects your heart, though? What reflects your heart? The Ephesians apparently were wrestling with something like this because we found out later they left their first love. Revelation chapter, the early parts of Revelation tells us that. Sometimes maybe we get satisfied with just knowing enough. Enough. We're not the checklist kind of guy, but we're the one who, who just, you know, I, I'd like to have a sample, so to speak, of spiritual things, you know. Uh, I might have all this potential, but I, I just want enough so I don't look funny in a crowd, so I don't stand out even among those who are in the world around me. Um, I, I want enough that I don't feel guilty when I sit in the church pew on Sunday morning. Do we satisfy ourselves with just enough of a spiritual diet, of a, of a spiritual intake, just enough to, to get by so I don't feel guilt, so people don't really notice that I'm any different? But have we taken the time to know him? You know, that is what Paul's request is in this prayer. Verse number um, 17, the very end of it. Why does he give us a spirit of wisdom? And why does he give it a spirit of revelation? It's so that we would have a knowledge of him. A knowledge of him. And I wonder if that's what we've set our, our minds to. To know Him. Above everything else, to know Him. That's Paul's prayer. That's why we're in the midst of this section and seeing it as it is. The essence of it all is to know Him. So he prays this way. He prays this intense prayer. And his desire in verse number 18 is that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. Not our head, our heart. That our, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, that we may know what He has done for us. Have an understanding of Him. There's another song that we sing on occasion here uh, dates all the way back to the 8th century. That's a long time ago. The words uh, read like this. Be thou my vision... O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. There's five other verses. We actually have one that's in this poem that's not in our hymn book. What's your vision? Who's your vision? This author said nothing else but you. Be my vision. Be my vision. You know, people have sung that for a long time like we have too. 
Has that ever been our prayer? Be thou my vision. Is that ever where we decided that we needed to have our hearts, the eyes of our hearts open to see Him? To know Him? It is possible, you know. Because that's what our verse says here in verse number 18. Literally, as I shared with you last week, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The, the actual phrase here is, the eyes of your heart have already been enlightened. That's the Greek rendering of the verse. It's actually a participle. It just fits perfectly here. That means God has already given you what you need to see. Spiritual perception. That's a gift from Him. When you come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it's amazing how things change. What we did not know before, we can now know. Who we didn't know before, we now know. We, he's changed us so radically in every way. He's also given us the ability to see. To see Him. To, to understand who He is. He's given us that ability. That's the eyes of the heart. And they have been enlightened. They have been enlightened. Maybe we just didn't realize it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a sad condition then, isn't it? To have the ability to see and didn't know you could? That's an amazing thing. What we're going to see today, specifically, is the hope of His calling. Now, I know verse 18 mentions, so that we can know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward those who believe. That's a perfect three-part sermon right there. You could do it in one sermon, or you could do it in three. Guess which one I chose. We're going to go with three. Because... The hope of His calling is such a thing. I don't want to just give it a few minutes and move on. This is something we need to know, right? What is it? The hope of His calling. What is that that He has given to us that we need to know? Matter of fact, the word know here is interesting. The word is ido. The Greek word ido, it means to see. Now, not so much like your eyeballs, you know, vision physically, but we're talking about a mental capability here. The, the word is perception. The word is, we translate it to know in many translations because that's the essence of this kind of sight. It's to see, to know. It, it's, it's that phrase that we use after somebody's explained something that we didn't know. All of a sudden, oh, I see. You've been using Ido for a long time. Didn't even know it. That's the concept of this word. It's to perceive something. It's to see. Now I think it's kind of interesting how beautifully it fits in this context. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may see. <laughs> you see how the words come together beautifully that way. That you may know, that you may perceive. And what also is interesting as I looked at this word, it's, it's what we call a perfect tense, which means completely see completely see. Not a glimpse here, folks. Not, not a, a little sample along the way. Not, not a little you know, piece of the puzzle. He wants you to completely see it. Completely know it and understand it. To know it and not forget it. 
and not forget. That's the nature of a perfect tense verb. I, I teach that language, so I, I talk about this with my students all the time. It means something has taken place in the past, and it continues into the future. It doesn't change. I sometimes joke and say it's a permanent tense. Now, scholars get upset when I get like that a little bit, because that's stretching it a bit. But it's got the concept. It is, I know it, and I don't forget it. You see? That's the concept of this word. And so what is, it, what is it that we need to know? What's so important that we see and understand and never forget? He says, the hope of your calling. The hope of your calling. Now, that's not, I hope he called me. Alright? That's not what that means. This isn't a, well, I hope so, you know, kind of thing. This is confident expectation. Confident expectation. I use those words purposely. Confident means I'm absolutely sure. Expectation is it is coming, I'm waiting. Right? That's the concept of this kind of hope. That's the believer's hope. We don't sit around wondering if the things that God has written about the future might happen. But we read in Scripture things like Christ is coming again, and do we believe it? Why? Because he said so. And has he always kept his word? Absolutely so. And if he's made such a promise, and he says, and I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also, we can have confidence in that, can't we? That's our hope. You see? It's a confident expectation. We expect it. I hope we do. I hope we live like we do. We expect it. Because he has said it. And this is the word that we're looking at here. Our confident expectation. There's a, another song out there that uh, speaks of hope as an anchor. Anchor. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We have that anchor, don't we? We have that hope. We have it. It was a gift that was given to us. And that's not saying, I hope he has called me. But it's saying, I have a confident hope he called me. He called me. He called me from death. And he called me from darkness. And he gave me life. And I walk in the light. He's called me. He's called me from, from sin. For scripture says that I used to be dead in my trespasses and sins. But now he has made me alive together with him. We love those contrasts, don't we? They're all over the New Testament. What we were, what we are, the change He has made in us, we're sure He's called me, He's called you to be His own. To be His own. We saw it in Ephesians 1, verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us. Are you sure of that? 
Hmm? Sue was. She was the only one that went like this, I, that I could tell. But then my vision's not so good, so maybe you were all doing that. I'm not sure. He chose us, the verse said. It says in verse number 5, having predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He's adopted you to himself. Now, there's a picture in this which, which I think is, is rather sweet and beautiful. He didn't look down and say, okay, this one's living in sin, and this one's lost, and this one is dead, and this one's hopeless without me, so I'm going to choose this one, and I'm going to pull this one out of this place, and I'm going to adopt this one, and I'm going to put them over in this home 50,000 miles away from me, and they're going to be happy. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says, he's adopted us to himself. Listen to those words. This wasn't just a, a, a heartless act, was it? If you adopt someone to yourself, there's something so special in that. The, the desire of the one adopting, that they want you. And they want you with them. He's adopted us to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It's what he wants to do. That's what he has done. That's what he has done. Another section that's beautiful as well, if you just move over to Romans 8. Someday we've just got to walk through Romans 8. That would take us about three years, I think. But that would be a good study too. But Romans 8, look at verse 24. Look at these words. Oh, they're wonderful. Romans eight twenty-four. For in hope we have been saved. Aren't those great words? Look at that word hope pop right up off the page all of a sudden. In hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he, has already, he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Now jump a little further down to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, that's our hope. And those whom he predestined, he also what? Called. There it is. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I don't mind reading these words, do you? Even that word predestined scares some people to death. Great word, though. It's right there in the text, isn't it? You saw it. He did that. But he not only did that, it says he predestined, he called us, he justified us, he glorified us. That's a package deal. Anymore, it's popular to bundle everything. You want this, you get this. You want your phone, internet, and cable all at once? Bundle it. Your insurance for your car, your home? Bundle it. Here's what, a spiritual bundling. Isn't it beautiful? Predestined, called, justified, glorified, all in one package. That's what he's already done. He's already done it. Hasn't he? Do you see an ED at the end of all those words? That's a nice way of saying it's done. And now, I think that's kind of uh, amazing when I read that, because... When I read that, it also says glorified. 
Now, maybe you haven't thought that your pastor looked glorified. Scripture says, I am, just like you are glorified in Christ Jesus. And a simple concept for us to understand is, is that maybe we can't see that, but God can, and he wrote the book. This is his perspective, not ours. Because he sees the end from the beginning, doesn't he? And in Ephesians it says, not only did he save me, but he has seated me in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've already got the seat up there. I haven't seen it yet. But see, that's my hope. That's my hope because I know he's already done that. That was part of my calling. That's part of your calling. He's already done this. That's amazing to me. So when we walk into heaven and we we see ourselves glorified, we say, wow! He says, I knew that all along. That's the way he's seen it. That's the way he set it up. I think that's beautiful. So what's the point in all this? He wants me to see. And he wants me to know. And he wants me to never forget that he has called me. That he has given me this hope. This hope. I know how it is because I just reflect what my own thoughts and and experiences are like. Sometimes we just go through life like it's a big roller coaster ride. Right? We have our ups. We have our downs. Good days, bad days. But how often does that look very much like our spiritual walk with God? One day we're excited, spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, we're we're challenged and we're thrilled, and the next day we feel like a dried stick. So what happened? Wouldn't you like to maintain that fervor? Why does it burn out? Why why do we end up and why do we go down and and what's that struggle all about? Why, Why do circumstances seem to play so heavy on us? And why does it seem to affect our understanding? Why, why do we go through those, what we call moods? Why do we, why do we uh, have to deal with responses and bad situations? We get tired at times and we get trouble. We get trouble with people. We get trouble with our jobs. We get trouble with our family. We get trouble with finances. Uh, you know the rest of the list, don't you? Trouble seems to be something that we've gotten quite accustomed to. How often, though, does a list like I just read distort our view of the love of God for us? How often is that the case? We, we act as if he loves us because we're lovable. Because somehow we have earned his love, that we have caught his attention, that, that you know, his love for us is a response. To who we are. (laughs) Why do we think that? When it's really quite the opposite, isn't it? Who loved first? He did. We only love because he first loved us. See, ours is the response. But we tend to filter everything through our understanding of love. Our understanding of hope. Our understanding of a relationship. And so when we think of God, we look at Him like He's fickle. Like He's a good weather God. 
We look at him as, as if, uh, you know, one day he's going to like us, and the next day he's going to say, oh, no way. Is that really our perspective of this? I don't know. But it seems to feel that way, if you want feelings in the story. We go up and down, and we tend to think that that's the way God loves, too. That's the nature of his hope, right? That's the nature of his calling. Today, I'm sure of it. Tomorrow, I'm not too sure. He still wants me. You ever been there? Wrestle with those kind of thoughts? Do you believe that we have a never-changing God? Aha! I'm going to start down a road now. You ready for it? A God who never changes. A God who is consistent in his love all the time because God is love. Not God was love, or God might be love, or God is love only on Tuesday. God is love, Scripture says. That doesn't change. His word does not change. His salvation does not change. The fact that Jesus Christ died for us, paid the price for our sin, that will never change. The fact that he rose again, that we may have life in him, that will never change. Because it's based on a God who does not change. Not on us, thankfully, but on Him. Oh, by the way, you notice this in verse number 18? Whose calling is it? His calling. Who owns this? He does. His calling is based on His character, not on yours. Starting to feel better about this a little bit? It's his character that's behind this action. That's why it's important for us to know it. It's his, it's his calling. He's a promising God. He's the God of our hope. He's the God of our calling. That will not change. That will not change. So we cry out like the one man did in Scripture. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? Help me with this. Help me understand. Open my eyes so I can see this. That the hope that you have given me in this calling is not going away. That the hope you've given me is a calling from you. Do we know that? Are we convinced that we have it and we cannot possibly lose it? Because it's not based on anything we've purchased or earned, but it's a gift from Him. That's important for us. See, we've got to know what it is to be called. So get your fingers ready. Here we go. I've got a bunch of verses. Let's start back in our Romans 8 passage. You might still be sitting there. But I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to kind of keep it in order so you always work your way toward the back of the book as we go. But Romans 8, verse number 28. You know this verse. But do you realize you've been called for a purpose? Really? He didn't just say, hey, I'll call you. And then leave it at that. He called you for a purpose. There's a reason for it. And it says so right here. And we know, verse 28. Okay, did you read those three words? And we know. Do we? And we know that God calls us all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. 
Alright, we know that? Let's try the next one then. 1 Corinthians. Just a couple more pages down the road. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Do you know that you've been called into fellowship with him? You know what fellowship is, right? Crock pots and bread and dessert. Fellowship. You walk together, you talk together, you live together. We've been called into fellowship with him. Look at these words. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful. Do you see those first three words? Are those important? Oh, yes. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, he's writing that to the Corinthians. Study those guys. They were a mess. You'd read their book and say, Oh my, if anyone could lose their salvation, it's those guys. But guess what he tells them? God is faithful. He didn't say you were. God is faithful. And that's where your hope is. You see? He's the one who's giving you a calling into fellowship with the Son. Oh, you're in verse chapter 1, verse 24. Let's add that one to it. 124. We're also called by the wisdom and power of God. He says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So that's not your wisdom and that's not your power, right? The calling's by His wisdom. The calling's by His power. We need to know that. Chapter 7, same book. Chapter 7, verse 17. Do you know that not only did he call you to a purpose, he called you to a specific assignment, a specific arrangement, a specific task. Here he says right in the middle of a thought, first in 7.17, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. Now I know he's talking about marriage relationship primarily here, and such like that. But in the midst of that, it makes a simple statement. God has called each of us in a manner in which we are to walk. That's a specific thing, isn't it? How about this? If you go into book of Galatians, which is a couple books down from here, chapter number 5, verse number 13, we learn that we're also called to freedom. Called to freedom. Simple thought. But here he says in chapter 5, Galatians 5.13, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into the opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're free to love one another and serve one another. You're free to live apart from sin. Isn't that wonderful? Why? Because he's called us. We've been called to that. Ephesians 4.1, since we were in Ephesians, let's just fly past our chapter 1 a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, similar idea. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Does our calling come with an expectation? certainly does. Walk in a manner worthy. That's part of the calling, the hope of our calling, that we walk in a manner worthy. Chapter 4, you're still there. Verse number 4. Let's go down a few verses. 
We're called into one body, one spirit, and one hope. It says, there is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Here's a beautiful thing. Room full of all kinds of people here. We all have one hope. Your hope is my hope. We're not uh, uh, going with some sort of uh, customized hopes here. Oh, let's make it different for you, and let's make it different for you. We live in a world like that, don't we? Customize everything. Just, just make it so it fits a person here, fits a person there. Scripture says we have one hope. We share that hope. We share that same hope. So, as I pray for you about your hope, you pray for me about my hope, guess what? We're praying about the same hope. It's good to know, isn't it? Because we're one in Christ. goes into this as well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Oh, I've got a few more. You can handle this. Colossians 3, verse number 15. This is great. You're called to have peace in your heart. Did you know that? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. You were called to have peace in your heart. You have it. You've been called to it. Now, I could give you a whole catalog of things, and my time's up, but I'm just going to read these off, and you could put notes down and look them up later. But you've been called to sanctification. That means walking in a holy life. God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. First Thessalonians 4.17 God has not called us to the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Go to Second Thessalonians 2.14 it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a heavy verse. Called to gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Called to eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Called to a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Called to be holy. Peter says this, chapter 1 of his first epistle, verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Now, I could, another page of them. Are you convinced yet? You've been called for a purpose. You've been called to something very special. It speaks of how we walk. It speaks of how we think. It speaks of our relationship with God. It speaks of our relationship with one another. Boy, it covers everything, doesn't it? The hope of our calling, is that important to know then? Oh, yes it is. That's why it's a prayer item in Ephesians. That's why I said, I can't do this as just point A in a three-part sermon. There's no way. I can't even finish what I have here. Investigate that, folks. That's what God has given to you. The hope of your calling. He's given that to you. You need to know it. Because that's our anchor to live by. 
that we can walk by, that we can keep our minds set on things above. Far better than anything tangible. Far better. It's something we must know. We're going to talk next week about the next thing he's given to us. But spend your time this week thinking about that hope. You have it. And you have the eyes to see it. Talk to the Lord about that, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done for us. We, we can't even express it all in words. If we wanted to say thank you, there's, there's not a, a, a grand enough word to drag before your throne right now to express the gratitude of our hearts. That you should love us this way. That you should call us this way. That you should give us this hope. Lord, how little we know of it. And yet I pray that our appetite's been whetted this morning, that we want more. We've got to know more. And the only way we're really going to understand this hope is if we understand you. Fulfill this prayer in our lives. As it's been prayed from Paul to the Ephesians, now we ask as we stand before your throne, open the eyes of our heart that we may know the hope of this calling. Challenge us with it, Lord, thoroughly we pray. And we give you the glory and the praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.